In 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a decision to allow states to legalize sports gambling. As a result, companies like DraftKings and Caesars Sportsbook started getting into the sports gambling game. But it wasn't only these big companies that saw dollar signs in betting. It was also universities and colleges. There was this mad rush to, to get in the gambling game. And the universities were doing this really quietly and very quickly without any thought down the road how this might impact students. Are trusted academic institutions pawning their students for sports gambling profits? Or should we trust undergrads to make responsible decisions about betting? That's what we're talking about today. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. A recent article in the New York Times showed the ways that several different schools around the country, notably among them Michigan State University, partnered with the big sports books. And we're talking with two journalists who worked on the investigation. Andrew Little is a freelance journalist. Andrew, welcome to Stateside. Hi, thank you. And Walt Bogdanich is a special projects reporter for the Times. Walt, it's good to hear your voice. Good to have you as well. Thanks for having us. So how did Michigan State come to have a deal with Caesar Sportsbook? So this this had already been happening at other universities around the country um, after the Supreme Court uh, allowed states to start legalized gambling in 2018. Uh, the sports betting companies turned to universities because they presented a very lucrative opportunity. They have a huge fan base, um, many students, many alumni. And CU Boulder was one of the first schools to to strike uh, a partnership back in 2018. But since then, um, MSU has struck one, LSU has struck one. And the way that these partnerships work, they are routed through a private marketing company. They provide manpower for the university athletic departments, and they also uh, make the schools more even more appealing to to sponsors who then can treat them the same way they treat uh, a professional sports team and the way that they want to sponsor them because suddenly the deals don't have to be public anymore. They are uh, private under the outsourced marketing deal that they uh, that is uh, the normal structure of university athletic department um, marketing deals today. I suppose we should say that these deals are, at least on paper, not just aimed at the students at these schools, but their alums and the, you know, just the the rank and file folks who are interested in the teams and follow them. And and at the same time, there is definitely this piece of it that's marketed direct to the students themselves. Um, what did you find about why college students are an important emerging market for sports books? Their future alumni. These students are future alumni. Um, you know, many of them technically can't bet uh, yet because they're under 21, but soon they won't be, and soon they will be alumni giving back to the school. And that that emerging market, um, as well as the students themselves, because a lot of students do do bet, and we our reporting shows that. Um, you know, in the last year, 75% of college students say that they've gambled in one way or another. Uh, one in five have said that they do so uh, weekly. And so already as it is, they are 
uh, clearly a market worth tapping and um, even more so when they they grow older. Right. And conversely, I guess, Andrew, can you give us a sense of why these deals are important for the schools? I mean, how do how does the revenue on one of these agreements compare with, say, I don't know, the 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 TV deals uh, to show games that are, have become such a lucrative part of so many schools athletic budgets? These deals are all multi-million dollar deals. Um, they are up there with some of the top sponsorships at these athletic departments. Um, so they were after the pandemic when athletic departments were struggling from a loss of revenue, uh, a deficit. Uh, they were uh, an important part for many athletic departments that, that they saw to recoup that money. And many have decided to do that. If I could add one point, um, we all have read and followed the stories about uh, the arms race uh, that universities are engaged in to get the best football coaches. And, and, and football coaches cost a lot of money. And this was a way for them to raise money that could help them secure top flight marquee names um, to run football programs and frankly, to help them fund other um, athletic activities on the, on the university. Andrew, you mentioned the fact that these deals are, um, that aspects of these deals, you know, that the fine print is, is excluded from public review. And there was this quote from Paul Shager in the athletic department of MSU who talked about the specifics around the contract. And he said, with the multimedia rights holder, public institutions like Michigan State no longer have to disclose all those sponsorship deals. This helps with the sponsors being able to spend what they feel is appropriate without having the public or employees or stockholders question that investment. Can one of you two possibly explain what he means about this being a good thing? It really is, again, in in the mind of, uh, based on our reporting, in the mind of many officials and athletic departments, for them and the sponsors, it makes it more attractive as an entity to uh, have a partnership with for, you know, big companies and if, and if that brings you in more money, then that's helpful for like what Walt was just talking about for signing the marquee names, for getting the, the big coaches, uh, for improving equipment in the athletic department. And so that's, that's another huge aspect of this, though, is that there was very little accountability, very little transparency. Back in 2018, uh, a different reporter, Daniel Libet, not at the times he had to sue uh, CU Boulder uh, for them to release the the contract that they had with with PointsBet. So what happens is these deals come together and there's very little discussion and, and some regents at universities aren't even aware that they that they happened until they're announced. Um, Walt, how exactly do the universities go about promoting sports betting direct to students? Well, there's advertisements everywhere on campus. Um, one of the, the professors that we talked to said, it's like taking a shower in them when you walk through the university because the signs are everywhere. And, and there's also in MSU's case, a provision where um, the fact that Caesars is involved in it has to be announced or declared during uh, broadcasts of games. So they are finding many different ways to reach the students. And I think it's important just to add on to what Andrew said earlier about the vulnerability of students. 
is they target students. I mean, sure, they're going after people who are also older and alumni and everything, but they like students because they're young and they're impulsive and they're experimenting with many things in life. And gambling is one of them. And there's this intense interest in, in sports among young people. So they really want them. They can say they don't, but they do. We're going to take a break. More in just a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. I I feel obliged as a parent to point out that this is also a population whose uh, full brain function with respect to decision and judgment uh, is not quite entirely online, despite the fact that they may be out on their own on campuses. You two spoke with a Syracuse student named Charlie about his experience. Can you tell us a little bit about who he is and how he started gambling? Well, he started, you know, gambling illegally with bookies and, um, and quickly discovered, um, that, you know, there were problems associated with that, that he started thinking about it all the time and it started making him uncomfortable and he was becoming more isolated. And, and in his case, to his credit, he recognized that he had a problem and decided to try and deal with it. Because that's something a lot of students don't do because they're young. They want to believe that they can figure it out themselves and that the answer to gambling disorder, gambling attraction is just simply to keep betting because you're going to win eventually. Well, you know, that's not how the world works. And certainly that's not how the gambling world works. Yeah. I mean, obviously, not everyone becomes addicted to gambling when they gamble. But did you two get any sense of the breadth of the problem in reporting this story out? A lot of the impact that these types of uh, partnerships may have on students has yet to play out. But there is a lot of concern among experts uh, on problem gambling about the downstream effects, because there is very little mechanism set up at universities currently to uh, specifically help students dealing with uh, gambling addiction. And when these partnerships were struck, there was also a very minuscule amount of money that went to any sort of gambling education at universities. And it was mostly targeted towards the student athletes themselves, while for the general student body, the funding was almost non-existent as part of these deals. Is there any oversight for for this kind of marketing deal at this point? No, um, very little. I mean, this came about so suddenly after the Supreme Court, you know, made its ruling. There was this mad rush 
to, to get in the gambling game. And the universities were doing this really quietly and very quickly without any thought down the road what this might, how this might impact students. And so there is very little oversight there, particularly in the universities, although they may say there is. And certainly on the state level, uh, there's not much that we've seen there. Um, and and it's, it's new, as, as Andrew pointed out. So the real impact is going to be felt in, in coming months and coming years. The point that we wanted to make is that we need to be paying attention to this because there are potential problems and people are going to be hurt if, if uh, authorities do not you know, invest some time to figure out how to protect them. I did wonder, uh, the headline and part of the article suggest that these deals introduce students to online gambling. But, you know, the numbers that Andrew mentioned, that 75% of college students reported to uh, to one survey that, that they have gambled, um, is it maybe disingenuous to suggest that a deal with a university is the first time that someone who's prone to be a problem gambler would have had an opportunity to take part in this kind of activity? I mean, is that... Do we really think that this might be the first time people have access to online betting? No, and, and we didn't say that. Um, what we said is that they're vulnerable to it. A lot of them have gambled, but not everyone has. And, and the point is, is that in the, in the past, you would have to find a bookie, and an illegal bookie to place your bets. And, that's, you know, and that it involves a lot of effort in, in some cases. What was concerning to us and the people that we interviewed is that you, know, you have this, this device in your palm of your hand where you can bet anytime you want, and in some cases bet during the game. You know, as a parent, had this happened when my kids were going to school, that would have factored in my decision to try and you know, influence them to go perhaps to another university because it would, I would question, you know, you know, the wisdom of that, that university and, and, and embracing a deal like this, which, as Andrew pointed out, is often done in secret or very quietly so that the public doesn't know about it. Andrew, I know a significant part of the reporting for this story had to do with the behind-the-scenes nature of the deals. But as you were as you were looking at the interviews from students who are taking part in these programs, what was your impression of the the degree to which this kind of gambling is embedded in people's lives. I mean, is it for most people an activity that that starts to overwhelm the other things that they're doing or the other ways that they might be spending their money or their time? You know, it's only a small percentage of of people who gamble who end up developing an addiction. But when it spreads so rapidly and and so widely, that small percentage can grow to to very large numbers. Um, so there were many st- students that we spoke to who gambled, you know, maybe casually um, with friends. You know, it was more of a social activity. But then there were a couple of students, including Charlie, who this became a much bigger issue in their lives to the point uh, where, in Charlie's case, he had to he had to leave school. Um, it's happening more uh, than we know, because based on conversations with experts, they said this is a fairly common thing. 
Uh, it's just that many students who that happens to might be unwilling or nervous about speaking about it because of the uh, stigma that might be held against them uh, for for dealing with that uh, gambling addiction. I think what uh, I found troubling, and one of the reasons that we decided to really go all in on this story, to use a gambling term, um, you know, was that why are universities even partnering with gambling companies? How does that fit the overall purpose of a university, of a, a, a higher education? And, and, and why introduce, you know, a, a factor, a wild card, so to speak, into a, a young student's life who is already dealing with being alone for the first time, possibly, probably, and, you know, you know, dealing with um, um, life on their own, with drinking and romance and all the other things, and plus education, and long hours in the classroom. This is something that, according to people we talk to, gambling, it, it does not help that. And it just increases the tension and anxiety among a lot of students. So they may not have a, an addiction. And I actually, I prefer to use the word disorder because you know, you can get into trouble gambling and, and not technically have an addiction, but it is problematic um, any way you look at it for young people to be engaging in that. Well, it's a fascinating story. Thank you so much for telling us about it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes for streaming at michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.